Father, as we go to your word this morning, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your truths, that you would help us to examine ourselves as we walk closely with you. In your name I pray, amen. So if you flip back to chapter one real quick, I kind of wanted to just point out how Paul and the others are giving thanks to God for the faith that is in the Colossian church. Um, how faith, hope, and love are producing fruit, not just in this church, but it's an example of the fruit that's produced all over the, all over the world. It's seen as evidence of their faith. And you know, the purpose of this letter that he is addressing here is he is asking God to fill them with the knowledge of his will, that they would understand the truth so as to walk in a manner that is worthy of the grace that they have received. A phrase that is popular, that has been repeated and consistent with Paul to these letters. So we see this consistency where he is encouraging and instructing the believers to be fully pleasing, um, bearing fruit, being strengthened with all power for endurance, with patience and joy and thanksgiving. Paul, he confirms what Jesus has done in verses 13 and 14 or what God has done through Jesus. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. Then within this letter, Paul has different segments or sections. You know, he will address some issues of doctrine in the first couple of chapters, and then he gets into very practical things with the last couple of chapters, where our main focus is going to be in chapter 3 today. But, you know, Colossians is a short book, so I would spend some time meditating through that this week because there's a lot of rich things within it. But let's dive into chapter 3. And again, we'll call back to a couple places there in chapter 1 for some context. But chapter 3 starts with the word if. If is a funny word. We had talked about it last week or the week before. When Paul uses if, sometimes it's a conditional statement. Sometimes it's not. It's more of a confident expression. In this instance, it's a principle use. It's not conditional. So it might be better translated as since. You know, since you have been raised with Christ. It kind of changes how we understand that a little bit. Again, going back to English, understanding Meanings of words and how they can have multiple meanings can change our translation or our interpretation. He is speaking to believers. So this isn't a conditional statement. You go back in the first chapter, you read verses 4 and 5, and you can see the faith that they have, the faith, hope, and love that were evident in their lives. Paul mentions this in 1 Corinthians 13 as well in terms of the love chapter, things that are evidences for a Christian. So this isn't to be interpreted as if you are to be a Christian, then you need to live this way. You know, when you interpret it that way, it really flirts with a works-based mentality to where you're either earning your salvation or you're having to do these works to keep your salvation. So we want to be careful with how we're interpreting and understanding that. Um, instead, we need to see this as since you are a Christian done deal. You're saved. You're a believer. Um, so this is the way then that you should live. 
And Paul is sending out this instruction, this encouragement to a church that is already showing a lot of fruit in their life. You know, I love these first three verses. I can spend, I definitely contemplated just preaching on these first three verses this week and breaking this passage up into three sections. You know, within these first three sections, I want to call us back to chapter 2, verse 12, which says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the faith in the powerful working of God. Then you look in verse 20 of chapter 2. It says, If with Christ, again, since with Christ, you died in the elemental spirits of the world. And now here in verse 1. If, then, you have been raised with Christ. So we see this connection that Paul is going through in chapter 2 and chapter 3 with this death and resurrection motif, this understanding of the Christian life, how you died to the old self and you were raised to new life, really hitting hard and encouraging the Christian church with this teaching, understanding that, you know, if, you know, when you connect those passages with the understanding of that if there. You know, since you have been raised with Christ, since you have put to death the elemental things, the dead things of this world, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Christ is currently at the right hand of the Father, right? And when when we think about where Christ is, yes, he is above, he is in heaven, but also this understanding that he is above everything else, that Paul is going to, to bring out that we might idolize as believers. The term seek, it's kind of interesting. It, ha- it means this urgency, this desire, this hunger, this ambition, where there should be an excitement around your faith as a believer, right? If you are a Christian, seek him. Be passionate in urgency for him. Now, did you take that if conditionally or as a matter of fact? Since you are a Christian, seek him. Versus if you're a Christian, seek him. Sometimes we need to be a little bit more blunt in our faith, not beat around the bush, not give ourselves a way out, an excuse. So what are these things that are above You know, obviously where Christ is, we think of the heavenly things. But today I want to start by just saying what these things above are not. The things that are above are not the good things that are here on earth, no matter how Christianese they may be. They are not the pastor's words. They are not the books or the authors that we like, the music or the podcasts that we listen to. Those things can help lead us into the presence of the things above, but they do not become the objects of our worship. We cannot idolize or prop up people or things that are just shadows or copies or traditions or or means to the end. We need a hunger and a desire that seeks him out. You know, my, my goal as a minister is to use the word of God to draw you closer to him, to point you to him. Not to me, not to this denomination, not to this church building. It's only about Christ. That, what, that is what your faith needs to be about. And that's where our eyes need to be focused. Focused on him who is currently at the right hand of God. 
seeking the heavenly things, the things that are above. This focus gives us a greater purpose then for what our life is to be about. Um, In the book of Philippians, Paul talks about this. He says, For this sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in the resurrection from the dead. Or sorry, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The most important thing to Paul in his life was knowing him and the power of his resurrection. It's a deeper seeking in a believer's life that should be expected. In similar fashion in verse 2, in Colossians, he says, Set your minds on the things that are above. So you are to be thinking about them. Word association game for those that are paying attention. First word that comes to your mind when I say affection. How many of you are drawing a blank because maybe you are distracted or not paying attention? Or uh, do I have to say it out loud? You know, when we think about affections, when we think about what we are thinking about, obviously there's many things that are going on in our life, many things that could be distracting us from our focus and where it should be on Christ. There's many issues that vie for our attention. When we think about the distractions that are around us, it can cause us to zone out a bit. But we need to think about what we are setting our minds on. What are we thinking about? This phrasing also has the meaning of affections. So we are to seek him and we are to set our minds what we are thinking about, what our affections are on the things above. And again, going back to Philippians, Paul says this, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Again, there's many things that we can think about throughout the day. Many things that can be distractions. We all have issues. We all have problems. We all have those hardships and trials that we're going through that can take up mental space. And these life issues are very real to us because they are problems, they're obstacles, they're difficult. But the greatest thing for us to think about, to think on, is Christ. When you think about your issues, how you approach them, do you meet with Christ first? Do you see things, the issues, through, the, through his lens, through his eyes, through the word of God? Have you spent time in his word, in prayer, before you attack the world's problems? Or are you just doing it in your own strength? Think about and seek the things that are above. Paul also reminds them here in this opening that their life is hidden with Christ. We have died with Christ in baptism. We've been cut off from the old self and placed in Christ. As believers, we are in Christ right now. 
Now that we are in Christ, we then should live out his life. And then his fullness is brought out through us. Paul then goes into a series of things here from verses 5 through 11 that talk about what is earthly, what is not from above. And we've been over this type of list in the past few weeks, the past month, going through these types of messages. And it's on account of these things that the wrath of God is coming, as it says in verse 6. But I also want you to make note of the note that should be in your Bible. At the end of that verse, some manuscripts have upon the sons of disobedience. It's in my Greek translation. Um, But what that does is it makes a connection to what we talked about a few weeks ago in Ephesians. We made the connection of the sons of disobedience versus the believers. Understanding that the wrath of God and the sons of disobedience has a connection. So this is talking about those that are identified as such. People that are identified with these actions and they are unbelievers. But again, we have to remember the context. He is speaking to the Colossian church. He is speaking to believers. You know, the sons of disobedience are not lost simply because they do these actions. It is because they have not believed in Jesus. They are lost because they are identified as sinners in their heart. It's an identification and separation that matters. The only one that matters. Are you in Christ or not? Are you a believer or not? Are you saved or unsaved? And Paul will get down to that here in a little bit when he goes through all of these other pairs in terms of what matters. But, you know, I think that people worry about their salvation. Because when we're honest, we're still living in the world quite a bit. We're still relishing in sin. We're still falling prey to the same errors that we always fall prey to. And sure, it can be a cause of concern if that is how you are identified. But where is your identity rooted? And I continue to come back to this because it is something that we need to firmly believe. Is our identity rooted in Christ? If it is, since it is with Christ, how can then we how can we then be confident in the grace that we have received and walk in a way that is worthy? How can we continue to set our eyes on the things that are above? You know, works do not qualify you or disqualify you. You are saved by grace alone. Works do not keep your salvation for you. They are the evidence of God within you. They are a testimony for the hope that is in you. And the desire of your heart as a believer should be for those things that are for above. Now, Let me address a very serious subject in terms of false conversions. You know, maybe you're just a Christian by name. You know, that's why in in church settings we oftentimes say to examine yourself to make sure that you are in the faith. Not just believing a cheap grace that gets you, thinks that you get into heaven cheaply. You know, not fully coming to grips with your sin and understanding what that is. You know, if you have not counted the cost, if you have not confronted the sin in your life, then I would say that you need to reevaluate your salvation. For there are many who will say to me on that day, Jesus says, Lord, Lord, 
probably familiar with that verse in Matthew chapter 7. It's a very difficult passage to hear. It's a touchy subject. You know, it's touchy because I find that whenever we address false converts, false teaching, non-Christians, it's always that other denomination down the road. It's always that other church. You hear a message like that and you think, oh boy, I'm glad this person's here and they can hear this and they can, they can finally come to it. Very rarely do we ever think it's us that are going to hear the words, away from me, you evildoer, I never knew you. But you know, this passage is talking about people who trusted in their works to get to heaven rather than the sacrifice of Christ. If conditional, you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, this does not need to be a worry for you. Continue to believe. Now, we'll get to it here in just a moment, but when a person believes in Jesus, it's because they are confronted with their sin. They realize the separation that they have from God. They realize their dire need for a Savior. They understand the offer of the cross and the forgiveness of their sins, that it is by the blood of Jesus that we are saved, that he has paid the sin debt that we owe. When we believe, we understand what we have been given in terms of grace, a grace that is not stagnant, that's not like a Christmas sweater with a funny little bird on it that you just throw on the floor in the bottom of your dresser and you only pull out one time a year to wear on Christmas or Easter. But it's a grace that we walk with proudly each and every day because of what has been paid for on our behalf. One that understands that my God loves me so much that he would die on the cross for me. A believer's life then becomes one of confession and repentance. When it comes to these areas of sin, we do not relish and then we do not desire the flesh, but rather we desire the things of above. Salvation can be easy because we are simply trusting what Jesus has done. But when it gets to the practical nature of it, it's that working out of the salvation, the sanctification process that is also a work of God, but it is hard because we need obedience. We need to surrender and we need to submit to the Lordship of Christ. We'll take him as our savior, but the Lord part, that's a little bit trickier. But you know, Paul, he confronts the old life a little bit more with some of these things that we have to put off and when he's using this language of putting off, just imagine the imagery of, um, he's using the imagery of a cloak where you would take off and put on a cloak that you would wear. In modern times, it'd be like a coat or a jacket. And you know, before Christ, this coat is dirty, it is dingy, it has been worn our whole life, and we come to Christ and we're told to throw it away. So we do, right? But sometimes, in our life, we try to put it back on. And you can think, why are you trying to put it back on? You threw it away. How do you still have it? And again, when we're honest, it's because we didn't really throw it away. We held on to it because 
that's the only coat we know. It's comfortable. It's familiar to us. It feels like it's a habit that I just have to wear this coat. So sometimes maybe we'll keep that coat on then try to put on Christ over top of that. That's not the way that it works in a believer's life. The things listed here are habits of the former self. And most of them I think that we have a pretty good handle on in terms of understanding what they are, right? You see the anger there. This isn't the righteous anger that Jesus would have. But this is the type of anger that blows up. Wrath. Wrath is an unforgiving spirit. Malice is a concealed anger that tries to get revenge. Slander. It's the same word for blasphemy. So this is towards God or towards others where you're defaming people's names and characters. Obscene talk. This is, you know, dirty language, swearing, cruel joking that people use. And finally, not lying to one another. All ways of the old man. Now, look in verse 9. Um... Oh, shoot. I think I wrote down the wrong verse. No, no, I did. Okay, verse 9, when it says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. So Paul is confirming to the Colossian church that they have put off the old man and its practices. And instead, he is telling them to put on the new self. Now, look at how this is being described in verse 10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So again, hopefully you can see some of the similarities and the consistency in Paul's language. This sounds very familiar to Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we went over the first week of this series. And the idea there was, you know, the renewal, the purpose, or the outcome uh, of this new life is to be made in the image of God, to be remade in, into the image of Christ. The focus here is on knowledge, whereas in Romans, the focus was on the renewal of the mind, both the work of the Spirit to cleanse us from the taint of sin, to restore us um, and renew our minds to the things that are above rather than to the practices of the earth. And all of it is done in Christ. There's no other division that matters here. And Paul gives some different pairs. Now, the only one that you might not be familiar with would be the barbarian and the Scythian. Um, just like Jew and Gentile, Gentile is somebody that's not a Jew, a barbarian was somebody that wasn't a Greek or a Roman. And then a Scythian was probably the, the worst of the barbarians. They were above the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea, and they were just, they were mean, they were brutal, they would scalp people, they would kill for pleasure, those types of things. So again, all of these pairs mean nothing. For Paul, it is, are you in Christ or are you not? That's what seems, that's what matters here. You know, a believer has been made full and complete in him. And we are to find all that we need in him because he is our all in all. You know, Paul's focus is speaking to the believer's life. And then he instructs them how they should live. And we see a, a strong list here. Now I connect this, this list to verse 4 
when it says, uh, when, in, when Christ, who is your life? You know, not only does he bring us life, not only does he give us life and give it to us abundantly, but our life is to be about him, abiding in him and him in us. He gives us that life. And then the same language is used here in terms of the putting on and the putting off, just like a jacket. Um, we are covered with his garments. And as Christians, we are covered with his righteousness. That is the garment that we are wearing. So we should not live, or sorry, so we should live as God's chosen ones, his elect, holy and beloved, putting on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, and forgiveness. You see a lot of the same similarities to the fruit of the Spirit that are described at the end of Galatians. I think when we see lists like this, we can get a bit overwhelmed. You know, this is a list that I kind of like to sit and meditate with. I kind of like to make assessments of my life in terms of how am I doing in this area, noticing areas of disobedience or stubbornness and where the Spirit can give me more strength, areas where maybe I'm trying to put back on the old instead of wearing the new. You know, when, we are, when we're not seeking the things above, when we're not thinking about those things, it's very easy to fall back into those old patterns. But as believers, as Christians, who wears the righteousness of Christ, how do we respond in those moments? You know, it's easy to look at this list and say, well, God's chosen people will act and respond in this way. Since I screwed up, I guess I'm not one of God's chosen people. That is a wonderfully tragic tool of the enemy. Again, Paul is speaking to believers. Predominantly, I am speaking to believers. But we struggle and we wrestle with these thoughts all of the time. And it is a tool of the enemy to challenge your salvation because it creates doubt, fear, anxiety, worry. And you're stuck in this cycle of that same pattern down here rather than living and thinking about the things that are above where we're repeating that cycle of forgiveness, of confession, and coming to a better understanding and growing in our sanctification. Instead, the enemy wants to continue to challenge, well, you're just not measuring up. I guess you're not a Christian. I guess you're just a failure. I guess you're just doing this. Because the enemy knows that that's how to keep us being, from being effective. When we get down on ourselves, when we start doubting, when we start worrying, when we start having fear and anxiety rule our life rather than the peace of Christ in our hearts. Because when that rules our life, we become effective for the gospel message. We become effective for the kingdom of God. And we're living in the way that is worthy of the grace that we have received. Yes, we will mess up from time to time, but that is the beauty of daily confession, a reminder that yet we are not yet perfect and that it is only Christ in us that we are able to put these things on. Now, when we go through those hardships and those trials, we can pray for the power to be compassionate, to be kind, to be meek. We can seek forgiveness. 
when we mess up. And we for, can forgive those just as we were forgiven, modeling what Christ has done for us. But how many times do we forgive? What's Jesus' answer? No. Seeking and desiring the things from above. One more thing about the above. Everything is bound together in love. Perfect harmony. We learn this from 1 Corinthians 13 as well. Um, that if we can do all of these things, but if I don't have love, then I am like a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. If I don't have love, I am nothing. If I don't have love, I gain nothing. And of the three, faith, hope, and love, which are repeated in both books, love is the greatest. These are the things that we put on, things that get us closer to him and the understanding of him, the understanding of the things above. Again, when I'm saying the things of above, using Paul's language, these are things that are describing the way in which we should walk, the ways that are worthy of the grace that we have received, walking as if we are in heaven today. And he closes this section with a passage that is often quoted in prayers and benedictions. More things that are, that are focused for our minds on, to focus our minds on the things that are above. And this morning, I want to just kind of read through this section again today, a little bit slowly, kind of meditating on some of the principles. Because many times I think God's word speaks for itself, and I just tend to get in the way. But to desire and walk in the ways above is to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Do you know the peace of Christ in your heart this morning? Or are you flustered by what's going on around you? Let the peace of Christ. It's a command. It's an action on our part that we have to obey. Be thankful. We have been given a gift that we cannot repay. Nothing will suffice. So as Romans 12 says, if anything, be a living sacrifice where we are totally devoting ourselves to him as that sacrifice. Not because we're trying to repay, but because we're expressing our thankfulness, our gratitude. We have been given a gift that we do not deserve. Is it just lying on the ground or stuffed in a dresser, worn only once a year? Or is it worn proudly? gratefully every day. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is not just a flippant reading of the Bible just to get your daily check mark. This is a dwelling, an abiding, a residing. And it is deep. It is rich. It's more than what you're just going to get on a Sunday. You know, I, I hope that I, I can take you a little bit deeper, but it's never the depth that everybody needs. I mean, we're all at different levels of our maturity and in faith and our understanding. And I try to hit some of those high points, 
But this has to be a desire or a yearning in your heart where you're chasing after God, where you're going to the word, where you're seeking him in prayer, having those rich, sweet times with him as he instructs you, as he guides you, as he encourages you and comforts you. Through all of this, they are to understand, just as we are, that we are called to one body. There is only one Christ, one faith, one hope, one baptism. The unity of the body is a very important thing. And as they go through their days, they are to be using what they're learning, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, A believer's life is a life that is reflected by praise and thankfulness in our hearts. Thankfulness to God, our creator, our redeemer, and our coming king. We do this because of the restored relationship that we have with Jesus, that he is our savior and Lord. We understand what the cross means. We understand the taint of our sin. So that as believers with the grace that we have received, whatever we do, whatever we do, whether it's in word or deed, we do it in the name of Lord Jesus as his ambassador, giving thanks always for the grace that we have received and understanding how our praise is impacting those that are around us for the gospel message. We need to seek the things that are above We need to think upon them diligently, being mindful of the ways in which we walk so that they are ways worthy of the manner and grace that we have received to live a life set apart for him in holiness, in truth, in faith, hope, and love. Let us pray. Father, as we continue to reflect on these lists, as we continue to reflect on the differences between the old self and the new self, Lord, it raises concern in our hearts and minds. The enemy is definitely at work, attacking, creating doubt, creating anxiety and fear trying to harden us with bitterness, resentment, hatred. Lord, all things that you have paid for on the cross. So Lord, if, if any of us are struggling with these things today, I pray that we can seek you for forgiveness. And Lord, that through your word, we can pro- be properly instructed, as it says here in Colossians 3 and many other places, of how we need to walk as believers. Lord, yes, we're gonna mess up. We're gonna have struggles. Lord, we know your grace is sufficient and that the times can be hard. But give us the strength, give us the faith to take those next steps. Help us to walk in your righteousness. Help us to firmly cast away the old self as the devil tries to tempt us to go back. Help us to read every morning Ephesians 6, putting on the armor of God, 
knowing that the battles are coming. And as godly men and women, Lord, allow us to come alongside of each other for unity in the faith, building each other up with spiritual songs and hymns, admonishing and teaching one another in your word diligently, Lord. Lord, we are not alone. We have you, and you have blessed us by giving us one another to walk through this life, the hardships, the trials, the pains and the torments, but Lord, also the joys, the celebrations. Lord, thank you for this church body. I thank you for the unity that we have in you, and I pray that you would continue to strengthen us as we seek the heavenly things. In your name I pray, amen.